0: I am waiting for Spencer Lodge to join the call. I'm so excited. The temperature in the office is going up and up and up because I'm so excited. And I've had to close all the windows because sod's law, someone's going to come and make a load of freaking noise outside there. I've said this before when I've been speaking, I've said it probably on previous episodes, actually, especially the episodes that I do on my own. But You know, a few years ago and and not that long ago, two, three years ago, I kind of, you know, I I wasn't anything special. That's what I I thought. And, you know, maybe people listening to this don't think I am special. That's fine. That's up to you. Um, But from my perspective, these days, I think I'm pretty awesome. I think I'm pretty great. And um, if I think back to when I didn't see that I was anyone or anything in particular, the thought of being sat here Waiting for someone to join a phone call—that is someone with hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people around the world that follow them. That is a has had the level of success that Spencer's had in his um, working life, and, a, and especially with the the company he's got now. To even understand the construct of his business, it's like I would I wouldn't have. There was just no no envisioning that. So I feel very um, I feel very excited, very nervous, all those sorts of things. about having this conversation with Spencer, but also there's a little bit inside me, you know, when you kind of set goals for yourself and I, one of my goals, if you like, was that I wanted to be spending my time, I wanted to be surrounding myself with people that experience success, have experienced it, continue to experience it, share their success with others. So, actually, this particular episode also feels a little bit like, actually, there's another big goal off the list. Now, this might not be an A-lister. It might not be so, like a household name and, and that sort of stuff. Um, if, Spence, if this ever gets out into the world and Spencer hears this, Spencer, I'm not saying you're not an A-lister, by the way. Um, but yeah, I just... Like I said, it's, it's, you know, Spence, if, I, if I was at my parents and I said, hey, I interviewed Spencer Lodge the other day, they'd be clueless. They wouldn't have, they'd have no idea whatsoever who this guy was. But for me and my world, this is like I'm talking to the cream of the crop today. That's pretty special. It's pretty spectacular. And I think it's a product of the work that I've put into me and my brand and my confidence. Um but I'm, I'm also humble. I've, you know I, I'm humble and I, I know I've still got a massive amount of growth to come, and I just consider myself really privileged to have been able to find people um, like Spencer who are now part of my world. Um, and so yeah, there you go. Hello, Mr. Lodge. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing?
1: to see you today.
0: Good to see you too. Good to see you too. Thank you for your time today and welcome to the Christina Talks podcast. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. I'm so excited. I've literally been recording for about 10 minutes just trying to organise my excitement. (laughs) I'm like, I've got a whole 60 minutes of you to myself and I'm like organising my thoughts. There's like 20 million things I want to talk to you about, but first of all, Let's introduce yourself.
1: Um, I help people make money by teaching them how to sell better, I motivate, inspire and educate people, let's give them the tools they need so that they can grow their businesses from a a standing start up to uh, a multi-million pound opportunity or enterprise. Um, And I'm, as many as people describe me, many things, I'm just really a sales guy at heart that has, has been able to find good people to put around me to help grow a business.
0: So, I first met you in February this year, just before like everyone went into lockdown. And before that, I'd admit, I'd not even heard of you. I was at an event. What? I know! What? I know what rock was I living under. So, um, you were on the speakers list, and I was kind of flicking through. I was going, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I was thinking, oh, this Spencer Lodge bloke, never heard of him. I'm just going to do my emails. And I have to say, out of the three-day event, you were the person that probably had the biggest impact. Hence wow. the excitement.
1: Why? How?
0: Okay. I've, I've still got my notes. Wow. Well done, you. I actually carry them with me. Is that really, really sad? So there was one thing that you said on that day in particular, that I wrote down with speech marks and everything. And it's something that you do mention every now and then, and it's a paralysis from analysis.
1: I was worried for a minute then. (laughs) (laughs) Paralysis from analysis, yeah.
0: So you talk a lot about the the wholesale's journey, the attitudes people have towards sales, that kind of stuff, but then also as business owners, when we've got decisions to make, Um, you know essentially people don't make them they don't take action and I think one of the things that I really respect you for is the the energy that you bring whenever you're presenting and I think everyone's always they're constantly asking you where you get your energy from Mm. Um, but obviously you've been on a on a bit of a journey to do that and I think people would quite easily assume that you've kind of you were born into success but actually it's kind of quite sort of humble beginnings, if you like, that, you know, when you talk about your sales journey and, and sort of where you started. So tell us more about, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, I do have a lot of energy and where I get it from, I don't know, but I've always been a kind of energetic guy when it's associated to, to work. I think that, um, I compare myself a little bit to a stand up comedian. When a comedian's on stage, they're the life and soul of the party. And then uh, they're known to be quite manic depressives when they're at home with their wives. Or, or, or I wouldn't say they're manic depressives, really. They're probably just quiet by comparison. So, work and the job that I do and I've always done has brought me an enormous amount of joy. And so, I try and put all the energy that I've got into that for the time that I'm doing it. And, uh, uh, uh And I think that if you bring energy to people, then uh, and you do it consistently, then there's a good chance that they'll raise their game and bring some energy back. If you do it inconsistently, then they'll just soak it up and and zap it away from you. So you know, if you know you're going to be in a room with me, you know you've got to be in a state, a peak state to learn. You know you've got to be kind of like ready to go, Um, because I'm consistent with that. You know, I don't overanalyze it. I'm just consistent with that. But you know. uh, I suppose that when you when you look at me as a kid at school, I I didn't do very well at school, but I was I was the kid that I could get out of trouble quite quickly because I used to be able to run really fast, um, and uh, I was always quite cheeky at school as well. So I used to kind of like throw a hand grenade into the middle of a scenario, and then when everyone turned around, realizing it was from me and tried to grab me, I'd run a hundred miles an hour um, and get away from it. So I, I suppose I was a little bit cheeky as a kid. Um, you know, I was always doing um, impressions of people and stuff like that, and maybe that was my coping mechanism. I don't know. Maybe that was my way of trying to be accepted and be part of something. I, I really don't know because I didn't analyze it that much. But um, and when when I got into working in my early part of my career, when I was just a kid, I, I didn't like anything I was doing. It was just like it was, you know, going to work was such a negative thing to me. It was like going somewhere and spending. Um, I remember I worked on a market stall on a Saturday morning and I remember I had to get up early and we'd get there in the winter and it was dark and you used to have these bulldog clips that you used to have to clip the tarpaulin on with and they were really hard and co- so cold and I remember I'd turn up and I'd have to take the tarpaulin out of the back of the van and lay it and if it was windy it was like a nightmare and I'd put it up and I'd put the money belt around my waist and put all the stuff on the shelves on the display and I used to sit there and go, God, I've got a beer for the next six hours, and and every minute seems to last a lifetime. And when you don't enjoy what you do, that happens. And so, I suppose when I when I learnt to sell, it was the first time I'd been in it. I was I was one of sixteen trainees, so there was sixteen people similar age to me, different kinds of backgrounds, but all there to learn. And so, it, it created a fun but also competitive environment to be to be in, um, and and and. Because it was fun, even though the actual job is horrific for most people to think about, you know, going, walking up and down the city of London, knocking on doors, trying to get compliment slips of people that have got photocopying machines. Um, the, the, most people go, how would you do that? But when there's 16 of you together and there's competitiveness and, you know, I remember the boss used to say whoever used to get the uh, the most compliment slips by Friday, we'd meet in this pub in Covent Garden and uh, whoever had the most compliment slips would get like a bottle of champagne or something. And I would do anything for that bottle of champagne. I don't even think it was champagne. I think it was just fizzy water or something. But uh, anyway, it was, I'd do anything for that, you know, and, uh, and, and, and that competitiveness in me meant that I then was inclined to want to learn to be better, and I became very quickly someone who was, as a trainee working under a sales manager, somebody that kind of rose to the top of that little group of people, um, and I felt special. Uh, I felt valued. I felt. I felt. I felt important, and I felt respected. Um, and so much so when I wanted to move up from being a trainee to actually being a salesman myself, there was all kinds of arguments and, and offers made to me by the senior sales managers. No, oh, no, no, you stay doing that. We'll pay you more. We'll give you this cut. We'll give you that cut. Because clearly I was good at that. Um, and uh, and I, I was trained by a guy that wasn't a great salesperson in terms of the, the stereotype. His name was David Thornton. He was from Scarborough and he lived in Clapham. And he was a straight-talking kind of boring northerner type of character um and uh and i used to work with him and he, we, he didn't tell jokes very often he wasn't very funny some of the other guys really were way more gregarious and entertaining and stuff but um i realized that he was pretty weak at a couple of things and so i just became good in those areas and so we formed a nice partnership um and so, it, that again, for that feeling of being valued, but also realizing that there was a guy there that I was working for that was earning, back in those days, this was the late 80s, a lot of money, like, I don't know, maybe maybe he was earning £250,000 a year. And back then, that was just a number I couldn't even comprehend. I couldn't compute it. But he... Um, it, but and it was like, well, if he can do it, you know. And, and I used to say, this is, and if he ever watches this, very laugh, okay. I used to sit there and go, if that miserable git can do it, then I can do it, you know.
0: <laughs> you know that that's really funny because one of one of the other things that I wrote down that I wasn't actually going to pick up on, um, and it kind of ties in because when you get those feelings of success, it's you feel success because you see how other people are interacting with you, and that they, you know, and you're kind of like hungry for that. Um, and one of the things that you'd sort of said that day was you know don 't worry about if other people like you or not. If you meet a hundred people, thirty people will love you, thirty will hate you, and forty don 't care and It was the forty that don 't care thing that 's what really got me because i I kind of went all of a sudden, actually, do you know what I think i 'm pretty awesome, so the rest of them you know it 's kind of it, it was, i don 't know it was quite a turning point really. And I think if you hadn't, I sent you a message, I don't know if you remember, I sent you a message on LinkedIn that day. Um, You sent me a message
1: about my daughter.
0: Yes. About the relationship
1: with my daughter, because my daughter Taylor was at the event as well. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, I I remember it very clearly.
0: Yeah. So um, I actually think if you hadn't said that thing about, you know, 40 people don't care, I don't think I'd have had the confidence to send you that message. I kind of came off the back of that going, yeah, he's right. I need to think I'm awesome, and I do. And I've now actually got a hashtag on the wall that says I'm awesome as well. So, you know, Just so Brilliant. you know, some people do take action, maybe not in the healthiest kind of ways, but hey, it's action. <laughs> so you kind of, you know, you had that sort of taste of success, you wanted more, and um, you, I mean, you've had a massive background within financial services so and if we kind of fast forward to sort of what you've been doing over the last few years um, I know sort of recently you've been sharing sort of the the growth you've had in your business the fact that you know it, it's I mean it's fantastic results you're getting at the minute I don't know if you're happy to share that now or whether it's just for closed circles but um, I think it is you've got this fantastic business model as well where ev- everything feeds everything else and you're then able to kind of focus on the stuff that you're most passionate about?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I I was, I was in uh, office equipment and to get into, uh, and I wanted to get into an industry where I, it was the simple driver. Literally, there was a very simple driver. I was, Working in London, I was as a kid, I was earning you know 50,000 pounds a year. My mates were earning 10,000 pounds a year, so I was like, I had the Golf GTI, it was like, but I was working 18 hours a day. I used to, I remember I stopped on the motorway on the way home from work one night, and I didn't know that you couldn't do this, but I stopped on the motorway on the hard shoulder. I was so tired with such heavy eyelids, and I pulled onto the hard shoulder on the M11 just before Stansted Airport and um, had a sleep. And I had a carton of Ribena between my legs in my suit and i would fallen asleep. I put the seat back, and fallen asleep. And there was a knock on the window by the police. And as they knocked on the window, it frightened me. And, I, and my legs squeezed together and this Ribena never went everywhere all over my shirt and stuff. And I'm like, oh! And then I've got the police at the window. I never forget that. They're like, what are you doing? And I was like, I just can't keep my eyes open. I'm really tired. I just had to stop and have a sleep. They're like... You, this is emergencies where you stop for you get off at the next exit and go and have a sleep at a service station or something. So I, I knew I was working really long hours and and so I was putting. You know, we used to get to work at half six in the morning and so I was I was always up at half four in the morning to go to work anyway. So, but earning fifty thousand a year and I was I was spending at least that and if not more. And I went to recruitment consultancy and I said to them, "How can I earn more money?" So they gave me a couple of options. One was a uh, Pitney Bowes selling franking machines. They said there's more money in that, and because I was in office equipment, that seemed like a very easy fit. Um, and I went for the interview. and They didn't give me the job, and I was like, "How dare you?" Um, and then they gave me an opportunity to go for a job interview in financial services, but overseas. And I had the interview. I was 23. The lady wouldn't give me the job. She said I was too young. And so the following day, I went back to the company, sat and waited for the CEO of the company to come and I waited for four hours. Eventually he came and cut a long story short, he gave me a job and then I was on my way. But when I learned to sell financial services, it really resonated with me. And I remember talking to my mum after my first week of training, I'm like, Mum, can you believe that people have to pay money to save money? That's nuts. Why would you pay money to save money? That's just ridiculous. but lo and behold, I started to understand the products, the industry, the market. And what I liked about it, it was it was changing every day. The stock markets were moving every day. And so for me, it was like I had to keep taking on this information so I, like I could find uh, value for clients. And so, and then I started to see you know, how important life insurance was and retirement planning was and how if you built a property portfolio and you got that property portfolio rented out, rental income, essentially your investment's being paid by somebody else. And it was to me, God, this, is, this is a no-brainer. Um, and back then, I don't think it was as publicized as much as for, you know, people not having enough in retirement because back then, people would work at a company for 30 years. People would have a state pension or a company pension and they, they would be a little bit more comfortable than maybe uh, it's, it, it's kind of portrayed in the world today that you know the government's not going really to give you anything and you've got to find it all yourself. So I found real purpose in that and I became really good at it because I wouldn't accept anybody giving me any nonsense for me it was like my job's not to sit and sell you something my stop my job's to stop you making bad decisions and to help you make good ones and so i came I came from a, a place of real value you know i came from a place of like genuinely being trying to solve people's problems and sometimes they didn't even know they had them um, and so yeah that financial services background that i've got is something that i kind of um, I still think about it to this day even though I don't sell financial services anymore I, I miss it like crazy because I really liked the value I gave to people and I really liked helping people um, you know just make, make really good decisions and secure their futures.
0: Yeah I think it's um, it's that ability to give someone value and make the difference to them that is is such a massive such a massive driver.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Sorry I've got to turn the AC on.
0: yeah i'm in an environmental building so it's so environmentally friendly we're not allowed ac well
1: i'm so environmentally friendly that i keep the heat out
0: (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about um adding value giving value to people obviously you you know sort of several years of sales experience you decided you'd download all of that into the make it happen University. Mhm. Um, with how many videos are in there it's like 400 and something videos in there. I
1: think it's 430 in there or something yeah.
0: That must have been a hell of a task.
1: It was, you know, I got I really damaged my eyes filming that because I had I had two weeks to film it. I remember I had studio lights on me and I hadn't I hadn't filmed much before and I definitely hadn't been in a studio. And so, to go into a studio for two weeks solid and to be knocking out 30, 40 videos a day um, but basically meant we had a kind of like, um, I don't know whether it's four, five, six lights, like a professional studio setup. Um, and these lights were bright and they were on me all day. And I remember I got to day, I don't know, day six or seven and I, li- I, li- if I, I had to go into my hotel room of an evening close all the curtains, not have any lights on whatsoever. And even if I had the light from my phone on, it would be so dazzling in my eyes that I I literally, I couldn't see. And so it was really, really tough getting that done. But I I knew I needed to do it. I knew I needed to kind of download this information that I had and get it in a way that, because I have a problem concentrating because I've got a bit of ADD, I have to have a real process to everything so that I can execute on it efficiently. Um, but yeah, it was um, yeah something I'm really proud of. I mean, the, the reason it, the reason it happened. A lot of people say to me, "Why do you do it?" And I, I I was able to find people to run my businesses that were, I would say, better than me. And it, I almost made myself obsolete in my own companies. And so when you when you when you find really good people that that also know how to find really good people. You put yourself in a position where I could be if I wanted to, you know, Doss in every day. I wouldn't need to work, take my dividends and whatnot, and, and 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 enjoy life. But I needed to do something and I was darned if I was going to go and help anybody else build their company. And so I thought to myself, how can I, how can I go about being valuable to people? I'm and I know I'm a great salesperson. Um, and I knew that so many people were really kind of neggy on sales. They were really anti-sales or fearful of sales or um just just sales wasn't a cool thing. And to me, it's like, wow, you've missed the point. You know, there's definitely been something you've missed here because it is really cool and I, I'm really passionate about it. And I've had some success. And again, people have done much better than me, but I've had some success because I really care about sales. And so it was a case of, look, this is like, a, it's almost like a taboo subject. It's almost, it's almost as, sales is as taboo as colonic irrigation, isn't it? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's just like, no one talks about colonic irrigation. No one says they go, do they? No one says, oh, I go regularly once a month and I have my bowels cleaned out. It's kind of like taboo. We don't have to talk about it. I remember when, what's um, her name, Ozzy Osbourne's wife, well, Sharon Osbourne, she got um, colon cancer. And um, when, when someone interviewed her, they said, so, so what happened? She goes, well, look, I've got cancer up my bum. And the way she said it, it was just like it was one of those ways of just delivering that and uh, saying it in a way that nobody else would have the balls to say it. And I think that sales is a little bit like that. We we, we find it easy to to knock salespeople. We find it easy to, to to you know to put them low down the list in in in, in terms of importance within life, let alone business you know if your neighbors a car salesman they're a car salesman isn't it and you know, there's nothing positive about that the guy does, what does the guy do next door he does it oh IT. Oh, okay yeah he does it but this guy's a car salesman so you know he's a this that and whatever and I'm, i i don't i don't believe that's right and what i find really funny okay is if you compare sales to clonic irrigation we don't all need clonic irrigation okay there's some people that need it some people don't but when it comes to sales Everybody, and I mean, everybody needs to understand it because everybody goes for a job interview. There's people that get promoted into management roles. They've got to convince their team members of things. There's people that are building companies that have to raise money, so they've got to sell their ideas to investors. There's people that have got to sell products or services for the companies that they have. And so many people are kind of anti-embracing it. And, and I, fi- I find it fascinating. Even salespeople are anti-embracing sales training. It, it, it to me it's staggering you know i go into companies and train companies and there's, there's always a group of people within that audience that are like well i've got to be here you know i don't need to know about this it's like you can't close a door yet you don't want to learn from someone that can it's like
0: come on do you know what was interesting for me so um i, I I went through the university. I can honestly say I watched every single one of those videos. And probably the, the biggest, making myself sound like a star student now, I'll send you some apples or something.
1: Right, No worries. I'll get you some gold stars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, probably the biggest thing for me is I actually sat and wrote sales scripts. And it's one of those things where I kind of, I just, you know, marketing. Yeah, of course, I'm all over that. But when it comes to the actual sales thing, I was looking at it as a standalone function, and myself, I was in denial. And and I think that's the thing. A lot of people are actually in denial with it. But I watched the training, made my notes, wrote my scripts, and I I trained that into my team. I shared those scripts with my team. And, you know, I haven't got a massive team. And immediately, it was like all of a sudden, they had a tangible tool, and every single one of them within a week had gone out and made a sale even people that were not in sales roles where no part of their role was sales and it is just like a it's like you've got to give permission to yourself it's it's really really bizarre just like a switch goes off in your head that and you know and i like i said i saw that with my team but as a and i guess this is the paralysis thing again as a as a business owner I was looking at the sales process and going, okay, there's all this stuff that needs to happen, um, but overthinking it really, and not actually putting the action in.
1: Well, it's like, look, when I was young and we didn't have social media, the way that you would get a date would be to go up to a girl and ask for a number and chat her up and buy her a drink and all that kind of stuff. And guys, back in my day, it was 90% led by the men. Yeah, there was 10% of the women that were a little bit mad that were hitting on the guys all the time, but mostly it would be the guys that would hit on the girl. And so you've you, you got to deal with rejection because you can go up to some girls, say, oh, hi, I'm Spencer, can I buy you a drink? And they go, no. And that's the end of the conversation and you, you know, do a 180 and turn around and it's like, doo doo do, as you whistle away to yourself and hum, hum, hum. And what, what you've got to remember is that a load of people. A load of, I believe a lot of reasons that people don't end up with the right partner in life is that they settle, and they settle because they haven't had the balls to go and try lots of different people because they don't want or they, they fear the rejection from going out there and starting the prospecting process, and so and, and so it manifests itself in, in business as well. You know, people fear rejection, and 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 whilst. Whilst you might take it personally if you meet a girl in a bar, people then are then taking it personally in business. But the way that you can avoid rejection in business is to learn tools and use strategies that are far more effective than the ones you've got. So if you take time to learn those strategies, you then can implement those strategies into, into your process. Well. That's the same as dating a girl or going and asking a girl. Now, if you go up to a girl and ask if you can buy her a drink and you're drunk, then the chances are it's going to be no. If you go up to a girl and you ask her, you know, and you stink a B.O. or your hair's a mess or you look like crap, then, you know, it's stacked against you. So, you know, there's some rules, isn't there? Smell good, look good, present yourself well, don't be an idiot, don't say bad words, don't be a B.O. You and know, you know, be kind, Listen. You know, listen, you know, ask questions, listen, you know, don't just think about what you want your end result to be, you know, take care to understand the process and, you know, there's, there's Matthew Hussey as a dating doctor for goodness sake. There was a movie called Hitch, okay, about dating doctors, about people that help guys learn what they need to learn so that they can attract the right people for them to potentially go on dates with. Well, if that exists out there then, uh, and we know that, then why are we not committing more? to understanding how important the set of rules and the principles and skills that are required in sales apply to you and your business and how you can deploy them effectively.
0: Absolutely. Okay, I wanna talk about the podcast next as well. So Mm. you recently passed 100 episodes on the Spencer Lodge podcast.
1: Yeah.
0: That's a hell of a commitment. Yeah. This is episode 13. For me, so I'm like, I'm going like 100, that's like, what's what's 102 now? In,
1: in lockdown, there's a lady called Nushin, who I know did 30 episodes in 30 days.
0: I talk a lot, but even I, I don't think I could do that.
1: <laughs> she, did, she did good, you know. Was
0: amazing.
1: Yeah, and each of her podcast episodes were, I don't know, 30 minutes long, but she did 30 episodes in 30 days and she got them all out, okay, as she was doing them. So there was a two-day delay on it all, but she knocked them all out. Well done to her, you know, because again, put your mind to something, you can get stuff done, can't you?
0: So when you started the podcast, did you like what did you envision? Has it become what you expected it to become, or have you kind of like, did it start off in one way and then you've ended up in, in a different direction with it?
1: Yeah, um, so my really good friend Raj Katecha, um who uh, owns a company called the Content Creation Agency in Dubai. He, he was the guy that convinced me to do it. And he had a podcast called OPP, which was called Other People's Podcasts, where he and a guy called Fat Man Scoop, who's a hip-hop DJ, whatever he might be, um, he and Fat Man Scoop reviewed other people's podcasts. And I found that fascinating that they had a podcast reviewing other people's podcasts. I just thought that was just, that was just genius anyway he said to me look let's do it and um and what i'd done before i had the podcast i'd interviewed a few people um for my for in video format not as a podcast but just for my youtube channel and so i already had three or four convertible episodes to go into the start of the podcast and i was gonna interview entrepreneurs and people that um People that 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 in business have proven to be successful, and I started to do that. And not everybody's interested in that. And 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 to be honest with you, nor was I, because after you've interviewed a few, they're kind of saying the same thing. A lot of them, and so they have a bit of a backstory, and then they say their thing. And so um, I started to start to think about who would I like to talk to, who would I like to learn from, and. Who, who would be funny or who would be interesting or who would be entertaining you know and you know I would love to get Mike Tyson and Frank Bruno on the show and stuff like that and you know, and talk about all those types of funny things but I, th- I can't remember what episode it was but one episode really made me laugh um and it was kind of like a turning point for me I was like hold on a minute this needs to be a bit more fun and then I'm quite an emotional guy and people don't know this but you know, whatever you do, don't put a sad movie on. I'll be the one under the sheets boo-hooing, you know, as as Lassie gets killed or whatever it might be, you know. <laughs> um, and so then, then there were people that had stories, and those stories were really moving, and they really moved me, and it was like, holy mother of God, this is kind of like, this is this is important stuff. This is stuff that, that that gets us thinking. And so I started to lean in that direction, um COVID's been a bummer because I like to do my podcast face to face, but I'm just naturally very inquisitive, so that's the route I went down.
0: I've I haven't heard every single episode, but quite a few of them, and and I think Nick Yaris was a real standout for me. Um, it's one I've I've gone back and listened. If I if I find myself feeling sorry for myself. That's the one I go and listen to. Really? Because I kind of think, actually, do you know what, that struggle that, you know, if I'm feeling lonely, that's nothing in comparison with his loneliness. It's kind of like, actually, yeah, you know, my my problems are not that big. I've
1: actually got another guy that I'm interviewing that's uh, a Buddhist on death row. Oh, wow. So he's coming up fairly soon. So yeah, stuff like that is just mad. Um, I'm just looking through them at the moment to think about people that I really liked, um that 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 kind of really jump out on me. Leon, the kindness guy, I think he's great. I've got to know him well and we're in the we're we're in the planning stage of creating a TV show together, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, uh, Firehead Azizi was great. And although a lot of people wouldn't know him, you know, he's a billionaire and uh, and from Afghanistan as well and he owns a big property development company here but we made three episodes of stuff with him and the last episode because the first one was pretty formal and I was like I didn't really get to know that guy then and so the second one um, was, was far more relaxed and we had a bit more fun and then the last one was I really wanted it to be two guys sitting on a park bench with a cup of coffee in their hands eating a sandwich. That's what I wanted in shorts and flip-flops. And he's like, okay, that's not a bad idea. And then he just went, should we go and do a skydive? <laughs> and it literally came out of the blue. And with the, before you knew it, you know, we were booked up and we filmed everything at the skydive center and went to the skydive together. And he'd never done it before. And, it, and it's a great leveler. Because you do not matter how much money you've got or what level of success you have, you know, you go and get in a plane and you've never jumped out of a plane before. And I tell you what, people, <laughs> people become very humble quickly. Saranell so Fines was great, and um, Peggy Amy, the lady, the the, the the movie director that made that movie about the Yazidi Yazidi women, she was fantastic as well. So I really enjoyed her. Hold on a minute, let me just get rid of that bleepy noise. Um... Chris Bonington again. He was a. I had Chris Bonington's posters on my wall when I was a kid. You know, I always wanted to climb mountains, and he was this great British adventurer. So he was good. Um, who else did we have? We had the guy out of um, what's his name, Vinny Chase, out of Entourage. We had him on the show as well. Adrian Grenier. He's a real passionate um, uh, uh, man that's fighting for the fighting for the um, environment. Who else do we have that was fun? Grant Cardone's always fun. Dr. Shafali from Oprah Winfrey's show. She was amazing. Um, Gary V was short and sweet. Ty Lopez, way smarter than I ever thought he was. He's a super smart, world-read guy. Um, if you want to know about venture capital, VCs, and you want to know how to raise money, North Swede, wow. Okay, what a story she's got and how smart she was. Mega, mega, mega. Um, you had and-
0: like a father-daughter duo as well. That was um, like um, they were like coaches, and the daughter was the father's coach. That was Les Brown. That that was brilliant. That Les was, Brown. I really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, Les Brown was great. There was also Chad Clow, He was the guy that beat um, uh, Michael Phelps in the Olympics. He was the only person to ever beat Michael Phelps. And he and his dad were there, and they had a, t- a great story. Um, and, you know, there's been podcasts I've filmed that I haven't even uh, haven't even put out because the people just aren't aren't, aren't engaging enough. Um, but, yeah, just as I go through it, I mean, Greg Secker's brilliant, okay? He's really good, great character, great story. He's fascinating and, and a good fun, good energy guy. Um, Raza Jaffar, when I interviewed him, at the end of the interview, he said to me, what are you doing next week? I'm like, why? He said, do you want to come and see the Pope with me? I've got a meeting with the Pope. And I'm like... What, like the pope in the vatican the pope he's like yeah you coming she's <laughs> <laughs> like never, never in a million years was i expected that um so yeah so there were there were there's people out there jammy gazali again you should listen to her what a sweetheart she is she's had she's had some trials and tribulations on the, along the way and then heather wild who's just got a brain that I, I i couldn't imagine you know she trained at nasa as a 16 year old kid to be an astronaut you know she she she's a growth hacker like a real cool growth hacker so yeah great people really really and, and i know i've got better as well as time has gone on you know i i've become you know I, i've gone more into it and enjoyed it more and so because of that it's um i think it's become something i get people requesting to come on the show a lot more now so you know that there must be um, there must be interest in it because people are saying kind of, oh, what, have I, what have I got to do to get on your show or you know, my CEO this or my friend's got that story or people reach out and um, so now I'm, I'm fortunate you know, I can be a little bit selective Jay Shetty's with me next month um, I've got some other big people coming on as well I think we, do, I think we have Oprah this year in October and November as well so we're looking forward to that one
0: I, I think one of the fantastic things with it though is that, you know, you you've mentioned some names that I I know are big in Dubai, but we don't really know here. And, you know, like Gary V, et cetera, that internationally is very well known, Oprah, but then equally you don't actually care about that, do you? It's like if someone's got something interesting to share, I want to talk to them. And and I think that's that's the beauty of it. It really is. Well that's like Ray, isn't it?
1: The lady that was on the show, the latest yeah. episode. I mean, that that goodness me. and. Well, you've heard as well as I did. You know, we were we were part of the same experience. She's, uh, you know, gone. And her mum died last week as well. So, um, so much, so much gone on in her life. And 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 that that's real for me. That's really real. I really resonate with that kind of stuff. And I, I actually think a lot of people do. And whilst we don't don't always want to know about the doom and gloom, I think it can give us perspective. Like you said about Nick Yaris, it can give you some perspective in your own life. And I think a lot of the time we, we sometimes have to remember that, that a lot of us have to remember that we're a lot luckier than most. Um, and I think we, we sometimes need that reminder because we can get into a place where we, we, we feel like we're victims a lot of the time or be hard done by and stuff. Um, and, and sometimes those types of things are kind of like great levelers or wake up
0: calls. Um, I had a question I'd taken off the list, but I will ask you because you've just used the word luck. Mm. So a lot of people will, um, you know, they'll talk about, and I guess I am talking more about sort of the, the business life, if, if you like, but let's not necessarily restrict it to that. You know, I, I feel that I've been very lucky to be um, in the right place at the right time so that I could meet the right people to help me move along and that that's from a very early age as well there were people that gave me time that had no reason to give me time but that it you know just put me down a certain track and it's like a domino effect okay but there's a lot of people out there that kind of go yeah no luck you know luck that's you know that's bs you know it's not like you make your own future and all that kind of stuff so I'm sort of interested to know what your viewpoint is on that I
1: do if you try and define what luck is then probably you'll understand it better it's a easy to use word isn't it for most people what really is luck and i think that luck is opportunity and is, is, and, and opportunities come either by coincidence or by manufacture and so sometimes you know you, you know you'll bump into someone you haven't seen in so many years in an airport going somewhere That that's that's the coincidence was it was it fate were you meant to bump into each other while you were queuing for a bottle of whiskey at the duty free um i don't know maybe that's that, that that's a bit wild to think that but i think that if you you you, you met me by coincidence at that event that's all that happened you no, nobody was lucky um And what's happened to you is that you've taken actions, small ones, medium sized ones, big ones, whatever it may be. uh, And those actions you've taken um, have led to the outcome, maybe not the desired outcome, but to an outcome. You know, my wife reads a lot about quantum physics and she believes that if you think Negatively all the time. If you think you're running out of money and you've got no money, you've got no money. Your your world is going to become that. You know, if you think a world of abundance, then your world will come become that. And um, I'm a bit more pragmatic than that. I think I am where I am. Um, am I grateful for where I am? Yeah. Am I lucky? Well, if if you saw all the unlucky bits that went with it as well, then maybe you wouldn't say I was I was lucky. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I think it is, I've, like I said, I, I'm very, I feel very blessed. I feel very, and I'm not really just person when I say that, but I do feel very blessed. I feel like I've been very fortunate. Um, I've made some decisions that seemed really minor at the time that have led me to be in those right places. Um, I nearly didn't go to that event in Brighton. You know, it's as simple as that. And actually, if I think about what's happened between that event and now, in lockdown, my world got about 100 times bigger. And it's, you know, it, it's um, another one of your students, Firas, that I, you know, I, the last few weeks I've spoken to regularly and we have calls and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, at the beginning of February, as I was you know planning my 40th birthday celebrations, I didn't expect to be making a friend in Oman. I'm uh, you know, I am I'm essentially so yesterday was my day off. I was, you know, I was on the um on the farm with my dad discussing the cattle and doing his back returns with an Excel spreadsheet, you know. It's kind of I'm I'm from a I'm from a quite a small world. You know, when I left home I moved 27 miles down the road and was almost disowned because of it. It's like <laughs> so it like it, it's kind of what, you know, on reflection, I think. God, you know, if I hadn't gone to that event, if I hadn't done if I hadn't put the time in for the university, and I did I literally spent the weekend and didn't talk to anyone, watched every single video back to back. Like if, if you hadn't
1: gone to that event, what would have happened?
0: Um, if I hadn't have gone to that event, I don't know, but short term, my mindset, one of the reasons I went to that event was that my mindset was. Broken. It was on the floor. It was. I was not in a good place whatsoever. Not from a work perspective, from a personal perspective. And those three days were intended as a um, a break from my life. It was three days, stepping out of my world, stepping out of my family, um, and just to really go right. The one good thing in my life was my business. That's how I was looking at things. I could take three days out just to think about my business and all the other problems I could leave in sunny Daventry. Um, And and that's what I did. And I came back and I was refreshed and full of energy.
1: When you you go to an event like that and you got the benefit from the event, plus you've met various people that have introduced you to various other people, um, does it make you feel like you should be attending more events?
0: Oh, totally, uh, totally, and um, bigger stage events.
1: If you if you went back to that event and you knew what you knew now, okay, so EMC twenty nineteen or whatever it was, twenty twenty, sorry. If you go, went back to that, knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently over those three days?
0: I'd have spoken to more people. As it, I'd have spoken to more of the speakers, not the other attendees. Okay, why? um i it goes back to the um yeah 40 out of 100 don't care
1: so why would you have only spoken to the speakers
0: oh no 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 i said i I spoke to other people and i networked and all that kind of stuff but when it came to the speakers i very much had a um you know you were not only on stage you were on a pedestal you know it was kind of like oh look at spencer up there not that i don't still think you're on a pedestal you didn't you didn't know me No, but you kind of like you look at the the speakers. You know, for them to earn the right to be up there. And don't get me wrong, I speak at events. You know, I I do speak at events myself. But in that scenario, like Rob Moore was speaking the same day as you as well, Um, and you know, I'd already engaged in some of Rob's content and his um, community prior to that.
1: You want to know who's next year? Yeah, you want to know the inside scoop?
0: So I I know. I know about Stephen Bartlett, and then it was like two days later he announced he was stepping down from social chain, which yeah. is interesting.
1: Okay, so Steve Bartlett's coming. Who's the other guy?
0: Uh, Neil Patel, I've yeah. heard, which yeah. is...
1: So Neil, I've heard... Neil, Neil's confirmed, and so is so Steve Bartlett at the moment, so they'll be good speakers.
0: Are you going? Yeah, yeah I'm speaking. Yeah. Excellent. I'll bring my team then. Nice. Booked I've, I've booked my ticket. I've put my ticket, and my um, business development person. She's coming, and I was like, "If Spencer speaks, everyone goes." No,
1: wow, that's lovely. <laughs>
0: but, because they all, they, yeah. I've, I was going to say something that makes me look really, really sad, so I'm not going to do <laughs> that. So, <laughs> not that people don't know that already. Um, this is why it's called Christina Talks. It's because I don't know when to stop talking. That's literally where the name comes from. Okay, so moving on a little bit, we've talked about people you've interviewed, okay, Mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of a a long, you know, as you've sort of, you know, developed and moved into different circles and all, all that kind of stuff, there's, you always have those people that are on that pedestal. You always have those people that you are like, "Wow, if I could meet that person, if I could interview that person." Um, and I think about the Tony Robbins interview that you did. you were like super excited at the beginning of that. and um, I, I just find that all really, really interesting. And the thing is, when you when you are that kind of caliber of person, okay, when people feel that way about meeting you and you kind of, it's like that hero status, you get attention and with all the positive attention, you also get the haters as well. You get the negative stuff. And I think a lot of people just ignore that and they brush it under the carpet and you tend to call it out when it happens. Yeah. Which I think is quite a, quite an interesting approach and I think that a lot of people are nervous of putting themselves out there mm-hmm. because what happens when the haters come?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I'd like to hear your two penneth on, on dealing with it because personally I think you can't be successful without haters. That's when you know you've made it.
1: Mm-hmm. So I remember when I first got haters and that was when the, what was written on the internet was like everything on the internet was true. There was nothing on the internet that was a lie. And there was a, there was, there was a couple of sites out there where, where my competition had written really negative things about me. And back then they were able to do this kind of stuff anonymously. And one of them was called Pissed Consumer. And the other one is, I don't know what it was, but he said, the pen is mightier than the sword. Can't remember what it was called. Anyway, they were both extortion sites. So, they'd remove all the stuff that was written down uh, as long as you paid them. And I'm like, but it's not true. And it's anonymous. They're like, well, pay us money. And these were coming both out of America. So, <clears throat> I got really upset when I first started to read it um, and really offended by it. And it hurt my feelings and it uh, impacted on my confidence. Um, and Danielle, my business partner, even to this day, if someone ever wrote anything negative about her online, it, she'd be destroyed. But what it did is it kind of toughened me up. This was before, this was probably 2007, 2008. What it did, it, it just it got, you know, someone said to me one day, the internet's like a wall, and anyone can put any kind of graffiti they want on the wall. That's all it is. And you know what? Sometimes you can get graffiti off and sometimes you can't. It's soaked deep enough into the concrete and the brick, you'll never get it off. And I think that that really meant something to me when it was said to me. And when, when I think about haters, I think about attention because it comes back to my 30, 30, 40 thing. The 40 that don't care aren't haters. The 40, they're just, they're just like bore off, you know, they're going in another direction, they don't care um the haters want you to respond they want attention and actually i've been able to turn over the years a few haters into clients because you, you, have to, you have to If you go for them toe-to-toe, you don't get anywhere. So you have to lead with a bit of compassion. You know Why are you feeling the way you feel? Why did you feel that you wanted to write something so bad like that about me? What have I done to wrong you? What have I done to offend you? Now, I'm a father. I'm sure you're a father too. You know, there was one guy who wrote something really nasty. I went to his Facebook page one day and I saw him with a picture of his daughter. And I just wrote to him I said, look, I've got two daughters. And I don't know about you, but if my kids saw me writing this kind of stuff, I'm sure they wouldn't be very impressed with me. Do you think your daughter would be impressed with you if she saw what you were doing? And all of them, no, no, I just had a beer. It's just, you know, I've had a bad day. And then well, everything changes. And then, you know, I go into the ha-ha mode with them and, you know, and embrace in a bit of conversation. Um, but I think hate nowadays online doesn't have the same gravitas it did 10, 12 years ago. And I think that, 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 that people are just like, you know, because what's the, what's the website that's um, TripAdvisor? Um, you know, people are destroyed on TripAdvisor by people's comments and half the time, it's the people in the hotel or the restaurant next door that run those businesses that are trying to put their, their next door neighbors out of business and so you know, pe- people like back in those days were destroyed by it. But now, online reviews, you know, even Trustpilot, I'm like, really? You can circumnavigate Trustpilot, you can circumnavigate every review out there. So why is someone taking the time to write something nasty? Because they want to communicate with you. So just just get in front of them or get on a phone and talk to them. You know, the, the best thing you could ever do is if someone's nasty to it and you can find their number. It's just call them up and say, hey, it's Spencer. You were really nasty about me online the other day. I just wanted to check you're okay. <laughs> People don't know what to say to that. They literally don't know. What, yeah, I'm fine. I do, yeah. What did I do to offend you? you know, have we met before? I, I, don't think I've, I don't think I know you. Oh, I'm just fed up with you know. You, every time I open my my Facebook page, you come up there. I'm like, oh, my ads keep coming up. You can you can block it if you want, you know. Yeah, I know. I was just out, yeah, I had an argument with my wife, and so you get a lot of that. So I don't I don't think anybody should care about haters. But everybody should embrace them because the 30 people that love you are going to become your clients. The 40 people that don't give a shit, you've got no hope with. But the 30 people that don't like you, they're like a complaint in a restaurant. What do you do? The food's not cooked very well. Sir, I'm really sorry. This meal is on us. You can have whatever you want and here's a voucher to come next week and have another free meal. Okay? Oh, okay, fair enough. You get a free meal tonight and a free meal next week. Maybe I'll give you a second chance. And that's the way you deal with it. You go in with some compassion and some empathy and try and solve a problem and try and become their friend. And you know what? Some of those people end up being lifelong customers of that restaurant because of that one act on the back of complaining.
0: Absolutely. I think when it, um, and I'm I'm speaking personally now, I've had a a couple of incidents during lockdown that have been um, quite unpleasant and sort of quite, quite personal threats and sort of insults and that kind of stuff. And, um, and in the moment, it, you know, it, you can't not let it affect you. It, it's like it's, you know, it's affected you before you finish reading it. You know, it, it's sort of instantaneous. And on reflection, I was very aware that the, the bits that got me were the bits that, re- that were really, really linked to my personal values and it's kind of like, actually, when I look at those values and I look at everything I do, I know I'm checking the boxes. So when those insults were thrown at me, I was actually really confident. You know, I, I put a post up on LinkedIn and kind of said, you know, I've had, I've had this message today that's called me X, Y, Z, A, B, C. And, um, you know, and loads of people are piling on going, yeah, that's not you, Christina. And, you know, and, and clients that, that were doing it. But it's kind of a... Uh, Why did you do that? Because I was interested in the feedback, but, or, but bullshit. bullshit, You needed, you needed
1: some gratification. Oh, you needed something. Oh. You're like, oh, if someone was mean to me. Let me tell
0: you what they said. But no, it was, it was actually, it was like the stuff they'd said, and the phrasing was really, really funny as well. So one of the, one of the things that was said was, um, um, oh, what was it? It was, um, had I learned my sales text? Had I learnt my sales technique? Um, selling timeshare on the Costa del Sol.
1: Which and how, did you, how did you
0: respond? I, at that point, I'd stopped responding. I'd, I'd done my bit and I was like, yeah, it's." So, 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 I'm, I, I'm not the agency for you. If people are
1: really mean, mean, mean and continue to be mean, go to their Facebook page, look at their photos. If they've got kids, just write them a message. Look, you seem to be unhappy with me for some reason, okay? And you're writing some quite vile stuff. So two things to think about. Number one, okay, what you think of me is none of my business. Please remember that when you write that of anybody. Number two, I see you've got a wife and kids. I wonder what they'd feel about you writing stuff like that. People hate that. It's just like they hate that. It's just like there's no comeback to that. They're just in that place and they're like, ah, you know. And and you've done it in a nice way. They, They literally despise the fact that you've gone in that direction. And so, yeah, I, I, I go down that path with people. And if people end up being complete idiots, you know, if someone said to me, you, did you learn to sell from selling timeshare in Spain? I'd be like, why are you looking for a timeshare unit? You know, I'd, I'd lean straight into it and have a bit of fun with them because, you know, I've, I've got so many stories. There's one guy that, the one guy wrote some horrible stuff about me one night and, is, and, I, and I, I call him out and I'm like, what's happened? What's going on? What's going on? And he's like, oh, I go um, I'm sat on the loo, I've been trying to delete it for the last 10 minutes, I can't delete it, it won't delete, please delete it for me, I've never trolled anyone, I'll never troll anyone again. And I'm like, no, I'll let your wife see it first. (laughs) Oh no, please do it for me, I'm like, if I do it for you, you'd be nice to me. Yeah, I promise to be nice. And so, yeah, I think anyone out there that might listen to this that might fear negativity online, Remember the amount of rubbish that's written every day about celebrities. Stuff that isn't true, isn't factual. You know, Harry Maguire is in Mykonos, apparently for fighting with a policeman in one newspaper article. He was arrested and in jail for two days. The truth will come out, but right now the story is all bad around Harry. These these celebrities get attacked all the time because they're above the parapet. And if you're online and you're building your business, you're putting your head above the water, if the general public aren't going to do it, some ridiculous... I mean, I was described in the Daily Mirror or the Sunday Mail or something like that as a five-foot-six ladies' man.
0: <laughs> did, did you frame <laughs> it? I'm, like, I'm not five-foot-six.
1: <laughs> I'm not five-foot-six. I've never been five-foot-six. <laughs> <laughs> oh...
0: Brilliant. Okay, Spencer. I have. Um, I'm almost at the end of my hour with you, so um, let's let's wrap it up there. I would love for you to um, share the information for where people can join the university with us, if that's okay. Um, and um, yeah, just in how people can reach out and finding the podcast, all that kind of stuff. Where can we get in touch?
1: Well, I suppose if you listen to podcasts and you're interested in hearing moving, touching, and inspiring stories from people all over the world that have had, in some experiences, really shitty experiences and some have gone on to achieve incredible things and that's that's the kind of podcast you'd like listening to, then please, please, please go and subscribe to the Spencer Lodge podcast. I'd be very grateful if you did. And also give me some feedback. Let me know what you think. And also let me know if you'd like to... Um, Uh, choose guests, you know, if you've got a recommendation for a great guest, I'm always all ears. So that's the first place. If you're interested in learning how to sell and get your business generating some revenue um, and you think you know how to sell but you're not succeeding or you fear rejection or you've got challenges then there's a seven-day free trial on the university. Go to spencerlodge.tv. You'll see it there. Go try it out and you'll be able to see what I do and how I do it. And If it's for you, let me know. It doesn't cost anything. It's literally peanuts to get access to it. But it will bring massive amounts of value to you and help you learn how to be better at business development and sales. And then, if you wanna engage with the content that I produce, you can follow me on LinkedIn at Spencer.Lodge, or you can follow me um, on Instagram at Spencer.Lodge, or you can follow me on Facebook at SpencerLodgeOfficial. Or if you're really into TikTok right now and you want to see me doing some silly dances, go to TikTok, find me, go to the first videos I made, and I'm making a right goon of myself. Have a look at those and uh, (laughs) promise not to tell your (laughs) neighbours.
0: Brilliant. Thanks so much for your time today, Spencer. I really, really appreciate it. Um, And I look forward to catching up soon with you again. What's the name of your podcast? Christina Talks.
1: Right, Christina. And, and you've got 13 episodes.
0: Yeah, so it's um, launching officially on the 31st. The first um, batch of episodes are going up. So um, the reason you're episode 13 is episode... Uh, sorry, the number 13 are really kind of... The number 13 is everywhere in my world.
1: Why is 13 prominent in your world?
0: Um, So... My birthday's the 13th. So is my eldest. My dad was one of 13 kids. My daughter was the 13th great grandchild. First job, I started on the 13th. Got my driver's license on the 13th. Um, when I bought the business, actually when I started working in this business, it was 2013. We were in office 13 when I bought it. That's just the stuff off the top of my head. There's like there's like loads more. And my youngest daughter, when she was born, of course everyone was like, bets are on for the 13th, and then she came on the 3rd of November. So my mum was like, you still got your threes and your ones.
1: <laughs> Excellent stuff, super. But well, thanks for having me on the show, I really appreciate it. Cool, thanks Spencer.